I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of the families. The son of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the sons of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shamul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their records, Gershon, Kohath, Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Malai and Mushai. These were the clans of Levi according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These were the Korite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this same Moses, Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's pray one last time. So, Father, we ask once again that as we come before your word, that you would speak to each one of us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning.
My name is Godwin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sasha Baptist Church. And we are in the middle of the book of Exodus. We preach sequentially, slowly, maybe too slowly for some of you. Um, but we are preaching through Exodus, and uh, it has a wonderful story and a powerful message for us. So if you're not there already, keep your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 6. It's page 63 in your pew Bible. Agree or disagree with this statement? The most important thing in all of life is to know God. Would you agree? Would you disagree with that statement? The most important thing in all of life is to know who God is. There's many things we invest in, of course, but this is the most important thing. This is the thing we're made for. This is the thing that brings us the most pleasure in life. Well, hopefully we would agree with that statement. But in my personal experience, knowing God doesn't always come easy. There's many reasons for that. Sometimes I'm I'm not sure what it looks like to know God. Is it knowing things about God? Is it growing in theology? Well, that's part of knowing God, but that's not all of knowing God. Does knowing God mean being raised in a particular faith tradition or being raised in a particular church, a local congregation? That's certainly part of what it means to know God or where we find knowledge of God. But could you, could you come to church all of your life every single Sunday and not really know God? Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Some of us desperately want to know God more, but we find ourselves spiritually inoculated. Our spiritual nerve endings are numb. And so we've, we've been there, we've done that, we've done the Christianity thing. We have sort of a, a memory of Christianity, but it, it just doesn't move us the way it used to move us. Do you feel like that? So maybe your prayer then, if that's you, is the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Some of us may think that knowing God is is a very personal and private matter. It's not something that happens within institutional or organized religion. You can't really plan for knowing God. It just kind of happens because God is everywhere. And so God can be experienced in everything. Okay, well, what about the Bible? What about the way God has chosen to reveal himself in the Scriptures? What about the church? the context where we come to know God. So what does it look like for you to get to know God? Has it been a a good experience for you? Has it been a difficult or disappointing experience for you? Maybe for most of us it's something in between. Well, our passage here this morning presents three contours of knowing God. Three contours of of knowing God. What does it look like to know God? What does it mean to know God? Three ways God reveals himself to his people. Here's the first way. If you're taking notes, here's the first way. God reveals himself as redeemer. God reveals himself as redeemer. And this is from verses 2 through 9. You'll remember when we left our story, Moses and Israel, they were in a tough bind. They were going through some difficult things. Moses asked Pharaoh to set God's people free, and Pharaoh actually made things worse for Israel. And so Moses goes before God. He cries out to God. This is the end of chapter 5. He's desperate. And so God, in these few verses, these first few verses in chapter 6, God responds with encouragement. 
Okay? Now, this is probably one of the most important sections in all of Exodus. Why do I say that? Well, it's because in this passage, in these few verses, God tells us in a fresh way exactly what His name means. His name, Yahweh. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. You notice the, the word Lord is, is capital letters. That means Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Now, God's got a lot of titles, but he's only got one name, and that name is Yahweh. So he begins by simply introducing himself. This is my name. This is who I am. And then he makes an interesting comment about his name in verse 3. Look at verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Interesting. Now, you notice God Almighty in verse 3, right in the middle of the verse, there's a little subscript A that tells us what it literally means in the Hebrew. You, you go down to the bottom of your Bible, and it says El Shaddai. El Shaddai, that's another title for God. And that's how the patriarchs, all of God's people in the book of Genesis, knew God. El Shaddai. It literally means the one who resides on the mountain. So it communicates that God is a rock, he's a refuge, he's a place, a person of security. So God's people in Genesis experienced God in one way. He was the faithful rock. But now Israel was going to experience God in a new way. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 to see exactly how God revealed himself to Israel here in Exodus. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. There it is again, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. Now notice, I am the Lord kind of frames this whole section. It's, it's kind of like a sandwich. And on either end is this phrase, I am Yahweh. And what's in the middle tells us exactly what Yahweh means. And here's the big point. You probably already guessed it. God's new revelation in Exodus to Israel is that he is redeemer. He is redeemer. Before Exodus, think about this. You've got to put yourself in their position. Before Exodus, God was never known so clearly as redeemer. This is the first time in biblical history where God shows up as the redeemer, as the rescuer. So what, is, what does it mean to be redeemed? Verse 6 has the word redeem there. Well, it means to free someone by paying a ransom price. Now, according to this passage, spiritual redemption looks like three things. In verse 6, look at verse 6, God promises to bring them out of Egypt. So redemption includes bringing us out of our old lives. Verse 7, God brings them to himself. He makes them his people. So God promises a vibrant relationship with himself. In verse 8, God promises to bring them to the promised land, which means he promises to give us new life. Or we can think about it this way. When God redeems us, he rescues us from slavery, he adopts us into his family, 
and he resettles us into a new, beautiful place, a new life. Now, what's the point of all of this stuff? Well, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Here it is. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So if Israel wants to know Yahweh, if Israel wants to know Yahweh, then they need to experience his redemption in their lives. So it isn't just a a set of facts about God that he wants Israel to know. It's not just reading the Bible or going to a Bible study or heading to church. Those are all good things. But knowing God at its core, knowing God fundamentally is a radical experience. It's a real-time encounter with God. What Israel was about to experience in the chapters that unfolded was a powerful, physical, miraculous deliverance. So every time they would use the name Yahweh moving forward from this moment, they would think about God differently. Now picture some children who deeply love their parents. They have great affection for their parents. They love their mom, they love their dad because of everything, because of everything that they do for them and all of the care that they show them. The parents, they cook them meals and they give them baths and they take them to school and soccer practice and they sing to them before they go to bed pray with them. And every time they call out mom or every time they call out dad, they have fond, affectionate feelings that are attached to those names, right? Now, imagine the house is burning down. Imagine mom and dad running into the house through the flames, through the smoke, risking their very lives to save their children, to snatch their children from the fire pull them out of the house to safety. And those children who once were trembling in the fire, completely trapped behind some piece of furniture, deathly afraid, overwhelmed by the possibility of death, now they lay in the grass with their parents and they're still trembling, but man, they feel safe. They feel secure. And they feel loved in a new way. One week later, One year later, a decade later, really every time those kids call out mom or call out dad, they're going to have new feelings in their hearts, right? Because they've experienced their parents in a new way. It's not just chauffeur anymore. It's not just clown in the family room anymore. It's not just cook, right? Now it's rescuer. And so now the names mom and dad are loaded up with all kinds of new meaning for these children. This also reminds me of the movie Taken. Have you seen the movie Taken? Well, I I don't know whether I could publicly recommend you see the movie Taken because it's got a lot of swears in it. Um, But you should see the movie Taken. Um, It's a a pretty good movie. And it's it's a movie about how a dad rescues his daughter. His dad is just, he's trained up with all kinds of, you know, ninja skills and... uh, and his daughter is kidnapped in France and taken away. And this dad, the whole movie is about this dad who, who finds a way to get to where his daughter's at, kill her enemies, kill their enemies, rescue the daughter, and then get out of there. Well, you've got to imagine, that's going to mark that relationship, right? I mean, that daughter and that father have a, a, an entirely new relationship after that moment of rescue. 
That's what it was going to be like for Israel when they experienced God's rescue. And that's what it's like for us when we experience God as Redeemer. Maybe it's easy for you to focus on God as Creator. You enjoy uh, beautiful nature and, and God's creation. That's a good thing. Maybe you enjoy God as Protector. He's been your rock and your refuge through difficult trials. Or maybe it's been difficult for you to picture God because you picture Him as your harsh Father and He's he's constantly wagging His finger at you. Or maybe a severe judge and He's constantly looking over your shoulder, evaluating, what is this guy going to do? But when is the last time, brothers and sisters, you thought of God as your gracious Redeemer? As your gracious Redeemer? And how might thinking about God as your Redeemer help you out right now in whatever you're going through? If God could pull you out of that great fire, can He not? He can surely pull you out of the little fires that you're going through right now. If you've come to this church for several weeks or months or years, you might wonder, why in the world do they always talk about the gospel, this message of redemption? You know, why do the pastors get up here and they they pray the gospel? Why does Jennifer always choose songs about the cross? Can't we just save those songs for um, communion Sundays? Well, the answer to that, I think, is found in Exodus chapter 6. Redemption is the central experience of the Christian life. You know, think about decades and centuries after God rescued his people here. Songs were written by the people of Israel that reveled in this Exodus event, and they were inscripturated and put together in the book of Psalms. You know, there's dozens, dozens of Psalms that speak about this Exodus event and revel in this Exodus event. This is how God would be known, Redeemer. And we Christians in the 21st century, we do the same thing. We look back in the same way. We celebrate in the same way. Of course, we look back at the cross. We look back at the empty tomb. That's where our exodus began. That's where our exodus happened. And then we think about the various institutions and practices and ordinances that God has instituted for us to help us remember. Think about baptism. When you see someone sink into the waters, represents dying to their old life and then coming up out of the waters. It represents their promised land, new life. You think about communion that we take once a month, that the tactile experience that is communion. When the juice hits your lips and, and as you touch the, the bread that represents the broken body of Christ, we are tasting the gospel in those moments. Think about the songs we sing, the sermons that we listen to, the prayers that we pray together. In these things, we rehearse and celebrate and review and worship God because of the gospel, His redemption in our lives. But sometimes, the good news feels flat to us. It feels really flat to us, right? Look at verse 9. Verse, uh, verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites. So Moses goes to the Israelites. He tells them about God's redemption. What happened? How do they respond? They did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Now, this isn't the first time Moses goes to, to Israel and says, hey, God's going to come and save you. This is like the second, maybe third time God has done that. 
And the first time, do you remember how they responded the first time? They worshipped, they believed, they, they put together a, a worship service which honored the Lord. They fell before God and worshipped Him. But then things got worse. Things became really hard for Israel, and so now their spirits are broken. The bondage was so strong that they lost their faith. They, they were unable to worship so freely. They're broken people. Well, we've all been here before, right? We walk into church or we, we go to a Bible study or we visit a friend and it's a, it's a time of encouragement. It's a time to come in and praise God and worship God. But we come to church and we have these heavy burdens. We have these, these heavy cares on our hearts. And then somebody, some pastor is preaching about Jesus. Your Bible study leader is telling you about Jesus. And you hear that message of hope, but you're not really moved to hope and trust in God because your spirit is broken. But you know, there's a, there's a word of encouragement even in this passage for those whose spirits are broken. Even when we have super weak faith, even when we don't trust God, even when we, we kind of turn our back on God just a little bit, God can still save us. Because he takes the initiative, right? That's what he did for Israel. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. Verse 4, chapter 6. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So listen, it's really easy for us to think that, man, if my faith is strong, If my faith is strong and vibrant, God's going to come and save me and do good things for me. But we read here, his actions were not contingent on Israel's sustained, perfect faith. Because in this instance, they didn't have faith. God's actions of love was contingent upon his covenant to them, which he made. He has chosen them. He has loved them. He hears their cries. So it doesn't matter their faith, he's going to act a word of encouragement for those of you that are here this morning with broken spirits. So you want to really know God? Well, it's not just knowing things about God. It's not just intellectually assenting to God. It's not just about going to church necessarily. Knowing God is fundamentally about experiencing His redemption. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Here's the second point. God reveals Himself through broken people. So if you want to get to know God better, find a person that's weak and desperately loves Jesus. They're going to help you get to know God better. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 10 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, God tells Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now look back down at verses 28 through 30, the end of chapter 6. 28 through 30. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? There it is again. It's like a broken record. Where have we heard this before, right? God says, hey, I want you to go to, to Moses and tell him, I want my people back. And Moses is like, I'm scared. I'm doubting. I'm afraid to do this. 
Now, we've probably all felt exactly what Moses has felt. Think about what Moses has done up to this point. He's tried to convince Pharaoh. That didn't work out. Things got worse. And just recently, he tried to convince Israel. That didn't work. They're not really listening to him. So he's thinking, something isn't working here. Something's not working, and it must be my mouth. I'm just not a good speaker, right? But Moses is focusing more on his own inadequacy than understanding that the outcome depends on God. You know, when God calls us to minister to other people or speak on his behalf or just calls us to some task, whether that's, you know, parents discipling your kids or growth group leaders leading your growth group or sharing Christ with a neighbor, it's really easy to take upon ourselves the entire burden of success or failure. And so if something goes wrong, then it's my fault. If, if something goes horribly wrong, especially, then that becomes a big burden for me, right? For us. We feel the whole weight of ministry on our shoulders when we fail. And that's what Moses was feeling here. And our tendency, just like him, is to become obsessive about our limitations. But you, did you notice the... Uh, the, the between those two sections, here we got another sandwich here. Between those two sections, did you notice the genealogy? You're probably thinking, why in the world did Moses place this genealogy here in between these two sections, right? You wonder what was going on in Moses' mind. So God told me to go to Pharaoh. I was scared again. Let's pause. Here's my family story. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why is he doing this? Why is this genealogy here sandwiched between two episodes that highlight Moses' weakness? Well, in the Bible, genealogies are given to mark out certain families and certain individuals as important. So think about genealogies of Adam and Noah in the Old Testament. Genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament, the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And so God here is marking out Moses and Aaron as his chosen instruments to accomplish this mission of redemption. So you probably already put this together. Here's the lesson for us. God still uses broken people. God still uses weak vessels because he's chosen them. That's why. Uh, Keep a finger here and I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's page uh, 1,210 if you're using a pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, this light, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. Listen, Moses was like one of these broken vessels, one of these jars of clay. And they're, they're horrible for carrying water because they have all these cracks. It's going to leak. But they're perfect. They're perfect as lampshades. You can see the light. You may feel like you've got a bunch of weaknesses and limitations in your life that are preventing you from fulfilling God's roles. He's given you. 
whether that's mom or dad or, or boss or supervisor or evangelist or discipler uh, or elder, whatever it might be, you may feel like, I can't, I can't do this. But you can praise God for your weaknesses. According to Paul, you can focus yourselves not on your weaknesses, but focus on the glory of Christ as that light shines through you. Here's another movie that recently came out. It's called Me Before You. Has anybody seen that movie yet? It's recently came out. Me Before You. Nobody in this church. Okay, we got one, two, three, four. You guys are shy. You got to just put your hands right up. One back there. Thank you. Five people. Me Before You. It's about a life of this uh, quadriplegic man. It's a really sad story. He gave up his life with assisted suicide and Here's some words he said to his romantic interest, right? He he fell in love with this woman, and here's something that he told her before he died. I don't want you to miss all the things someone else can give you. On one level, that's incredibly noble, right? I mean, we we feel the pain in his heart as he's, he's saying these words. But is it really noble? A man with a physical disability whose answer to the problem of his weakness was suicide. That's awfully sad. Joni Erickson Tata is one of my heroes. You may be familiar with her story. As a kid, she dove into some shallow water and she broke her neck. She's been married for over 30 years. Over 30 years as a quadriplegic, right? Strong, vibrant Christian woman who who speaks with incredible influence and power. She's a broken, weak vessel who shares the message of redemption to other people. And here's her take on this movie. As a quadriplegic who's been married for nearly 34 years, I can say for certain that my husband and I have a deep and satisfying relationship, mostly because of, not in spite of, my severe disability. It teaches us both patience and self-sacrifice, endurance, respect, and joy, even when, especially when, times are hard. The Bible says God's power shows up best in weakness, so any marriage that has a disability can potentially be a powerful blessing to both spouses and the watching world. I mean, who says this kind of stuff? Someone who is weak and someone who has been touched by Jesus. That's who says this. You may be someone with a mental disability. You may be someone with a physical disability. Disability. Or maybe you know someone in your life, maybe a child, maybe a a parent or a a good friend who has some sort of handicap. And you may wonder, how in the world can I or how in the world can my child or my friend have some kind of real meaningful life? A life that can benefit others. A life that can bless and serve others and bring honor to God. Is that even possible? Moses' experience here 2 Corinthians 4, it teaches us that yes, it is indeed possible. Disabilities are not wasted weaknesses. Disabilities are not reasons to end one's life. They are specifically the place where God's power can be displayed the most. Joni Erickson Tata's life tells us that. She, she speaks the loudest, she speaks the most profoundly through her weakness. 
So whether you have an obvious disability or handicap, whether it's mental or physical, or whether it's something else, God delights to use you so His power can come through. And after all, we, were, we are all disabled in some way. Some of us physical, some of us mental. Many of us in this room are emotionally handicapped in different ways because of our backgrounds. And all of us are spiritually disabled apart from God's grace, right? But God still uses us, delights to use us because His power is made perfect in weakness. How do you come to know God? Well, first of all, know Him as your Redeemer, yes. But here's another idea. Look to people who are weak, who really love Jesus. Ask them questions about faith and joy and what it looks like to persevere in the faith. You may be surprised at how much weak Christians have to offer you. You might think, I need to go to the strong and the powerful Christians. They're going to have things to teach me. They might have things to teach you, but weak Christians who cling to Jesus and who press forward, they're going to have profound things to teach you. Like Joni, like Moses. Here's the last point. God reveals himself as judge. God reveals himself as judge. Exodus chapter 7, let me read these verses to, to remind you. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring, you, bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. In chapter 6, God says, I am Yahweh five times to Israel. Here in chapter 7, God says the same thing, I am Yahweh, five times again, except this time it's directed towards Egypt. So God not only wants Israel to know who he is, he wants Egypt to know exactly who he is. And the way Egypt, the way Egypt would find out about Yahweh, of course, would not be fun. These plagues are coming, right? Look again at verse 4 and 5. Sentence there, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch up my hand for them? No, against them. Against them. So this is, of course, is a preview of the plagues to come. And the next three sermons are going to focus on the various plagues. We're going to get into things like, okay, what in the world does it mean that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? So that is coming. But for now, here God gives Moses a glimpse into why these plagues are there. Why are they going to come? God wants to display his power not only to his own people, but to Egypt. Israel would know God as redeemer. Egypt would know God as judge. 
Right? If you take out the big bad bully on the playground, it's going to boost your reputation. But there's no point in taking out the little scrawny kid. What's that going to do? Right? And so here God is taking out the biggest bully on the playground. And of course, that's Egypt, the superpower in this particular time. Every person on this planet, listen, every person on this planet will know God in one of two ways. You're either going to know God as Redeemer or you're going to know God as judge. Two options. Every single person on this planet, every knee is going to hit the ground at some point. Every knee. At some point, they're going to know and submit themselves to God. But you're either going to do that in worship of Jesus, or you're going to do it under the weight of judgment. If you're not a Christian this morning, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you this morning? Don't remain in your sins as Egypt did. Don't harden your hearts as we'll see Pharaoh did. Stop defying God and instead repent and believe in Jesus who's the only hope of your redemption. Because at the end of time, you're going to face God. Every single one of us in this room is going to face God. And if you don't have Jesus as Redeemer, you're going to have Jesus as your judge. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because it's hard for the Egyptians. It's going to be hard for you as well. But for those who have repented and trusted in Christ, with mighty acts of judgment, God has come and paid the ransom price for you. Not judgment on yourself, not judgment on another nation, no, judgment on Jesus at the cross. And so now you can walk off the slave market platform, a freed man and a freed woman. You now run in the arms of your heavenly Father without any fear. You now walk joyfully in the wake of blood-bought grace. To know God is to know this. The psalmist says, I think it's Psalm 135. The psalmist says that God's greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is unsearchable. That means there will never be one moment in this life or the next where you will come to know everything there is to know about God. At every point in this life, at every, every point in your next life, there will always be new things to learn about God, new things to enjoy about God. Getting to know God is like walking across a vast mountain range. Climbing one peak will uncover a new vista of beauty and, and glory and majesty, but it's also going to unveil the next mountain, and it's going to grow your anticipation for the next peak and that new vista that's coming. But at the center of knowing God, whether that's 10 minutes from now or whether that's 10 trillion years from now on the new earth, the center of knowing God will always be this visceral experience of being redeemed. Being redeemed, pulled from the fires and brought into the safety of the promised land. There will not be one day where we stop singing the song of our exodus. How do I know that? Because that song's already started. Because you can hear the song of Exodus that's already being sung in the heavens today. The book of Revelation. And one day we're going to join that choir. And we're going to sing the song of Exodus. You, Jesus, 
are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals because you were slain. You were judged. And with your blood, you purchased for God. You ransomed for God. You redeemed for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I, John says, and just picture this with me, looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, make us a people who celebrate this amazing good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to know you and keep knowing you and keep celebrating you as our wonderful Redeemer. Help us to understand and see you as as our judge and the judge of this world and yet to know that that judgment has been laid on the shoulders of Jesus, that the wrath that we deserve, the furious wrath that we deserve, has been absorbed by another. Oh, Father, we praise you. We thank you. And oh, Father, help us to sing this song of Exodus, the song of our own Exodus. In Jesus' name, amen.